Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are still remote at the moment, as you can see. We are hopeful that next month, if infection rates stay low, that we'll be able to have in-person meetings and at the same time, we'll still continue to live stream. This has been a crazy logistical lift for us, so thank you for your patience. There's so many people that have been working tirelessly behind the scenes uh, for jobs they never actually ne- signed up to do. So uh, I'm, these individuals have been incredibly giving. I'm particularly appreciative of them over the past seven months of doing this. And um, a special shout out to our musicians that have been doing so much from home. Our director of worship arts, John Working, shout out to you too, sir. Uh, we also have uh, Carol Ann and Drew Hall and Tarina and um, so many other people, both on our staff and uh, just folks who are volunteering, who you don't know about, but have been doing so much behind the scenes. They are the heroes to me. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please pray for their hearts if you get a chance. If you know some of them, give them some special appreciation. Regardless of where you're currently congregating, this church, our church, our congregation is starting a new series looking at aspects of the book of Matthew, specifically where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. And we're doing that because The Pharisees, even though that might be a negative word today, those individuals were the leaders and the celebrities of their time. They were the good ones, which is hard for us to get into our mind, but they were the do-gooders, whom the world wanted to emulate. 
Uh, they were the ones everybody wanted to be like. And so what we need to do is we need to see how Jesus shows us by engaging them the differentiation between morality and Christianity for us. And I think we need this because if you are a Christian, if you say you're a Christian today, it's possible that your faith, what you believe, is buried under years of normalcy and potentially neglect. Whereas if, if you aren't a Christian or you don't know if you're a Christian, if you really want to know what Christianity is about, you have to go back to the original sources. And the book of Matthew right here is showing us these original conversations, how they happened between Jesus and this group. And we're going to be in this for the next couple of weeks. So let's dive in. And what we see in our passage today is whatever Jesus is bringing is busting our categories. If you go straight to the end of the passage, verses 16 and 17, it says uh, Jesus is bringing what uh, I, I think the analogies are something completely new. Like a patch that doesn't fit on, you know, it's an unshrunk patch of cloth sewed onto an old garment. It won't fit. It doesn't fit. Or new wine in old wineskins. If you do that, it's going to burst. In other words, what Jesus wants us to see in this passage is that you can't, is that this is not business as usual. That I'm doing something new. I'm bringing something new. I'm calling you to something new. I'm giving you to something new. That's not like all other religions, Jesus is saying. This is not like anything that was in Israel's past. This is a, a completely different way of living and interacting with others. And so let's look at what we find here. What we see here is a new way of living. Jesus pays, paves the way to that living. And then Jesus shows us the way. So a new way of living. Jesus paves the way. And then Jesus shows us the way. So first, uh, Jesus uh, is giving us a new way of living. And let me show you how the way the world works. The world works is pretty simple. Generally, we stay away from what's offensive. We stay away from those who are corrupt, those who have adversely affect us, uh, those who um, might pull us down or we don't like. That, that's how all religion works. But that's actually how racism works. That's how politics works. That's how everything else that I know of works in this world. Think about every technological device that you have right now. It's aiding us in the process to um, let in some things that we want to let in and not let in other things that we don't want to let in. Right? And I'm not just talking about you know, the mute button. I'm talking about uh, not just ghosting, but the algorithms on your phone, in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. They're all designed to put in front of you images, things that you want to see and not the things you do not want to see. That's how those platforms make money. Because that's, that's how the world works. Is you don't put yourself in front of people that you disagree with. Only the people that you do agree with. And this is the knock on religion, but you know we, we, we keep outsiders out and we keep the insiders in. But racism works the same way. You, know, you keep your people group in and that, the other people group out. That's how politics works. Your political view in, the other political view out. Right? That's how the world works. That's how you think about the friends you pick. Right? You pick the ones you like and have to pick, you do not pick the ones you don't like. We are instinctual, tribal individuals and our, our tendency is rooted in the core of who we are. And so here's what's so different. Jesus doesn't operate that way. 
Go to the, the very first verse in our passage, verse 9. Jesus shows up, sees a man named Matthew sitting at a, at a tax collector's booth. He walks up to this individual and says, follow me. And you need a little bit of background if you're going to be amazed by this. Because some of you might know that tax collectors back then were notorious for overcharging and dealing nefariously with individuals, but I don't think you know the half of it. Matthew wasn't just a tax collector. Matthew was a collaborator with the Roman invaders of the land. See, when the Nazis invaded France, the people despised the most were actually not the Nazis. It were the French who aided the Nazis, who helped them in their rules, showed them where the secret hiding places were, gave them insider information, and in return, they were made fabulously wealthy. They were given power and prestige. See, that's exactly what's happening here. That's why everybody hated Matthew, is that he didn't just overcharge, he betrayed God and country. He was ostracized, he was the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, and Jesus walks right up to him, probably like nobody else would have dreamed of, and says, follow me. He calls him, he engages him, he relates to him, and Matthew responds. And so I think this is profound in its own right, but, you know, uh, that type of person in your community, think about who that would be, right? What, you know, think about how Jesus immediately says, hey, Matthew, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, follow me. If you were to do that in your own community, you know what you probably would do? You'd say, hey, come follow me, come hang out with me, but you got to leave whatever you're doing. You shouldn't keep hanging out with those people over there. But instead of calling him only out, no, Jesus actually goes in. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's given us a completely different paradigm to operate that's completely different than how the rest of the whole world operates. It's a new way of living with people whom you don't agree with. People who you actually might think were harmful and wrong. People you wouldn't actually put yourself around. And the unique new way of operating allows you, allows you to be with them. To reach across the invisible and visible barriers that are out there in society. To go across to people who you never would have dreamed with. Across culturally, ethnically, economically, morally, religiously. Not because you have to, but purely because you want to. And that's, that's what we see here. So look, look, look how Jesus does it. He doesn't just call Matthew out. He doesn't say, hey, come on over here and, and integrate into my area. Act like me and become like me. No, look at verse the very next verse, verse 10. Jesus goes and has dinner with Matthew. And remember, this is a shame-honor culture. That whom you eat with is a deep sign of intimate relationship. Every interaction is a potential place to lose face, to, to shame your family. And Jesus eats not just with Matthew, but it says here that he eats with many different tax collectors and sinners. These are people whom Jesus, in all he associates with, would have known that these people, they wouldn't just disagree you know, you know, on, on some particular issues, but as a whole. Liars, cheaters, stealers, people who are deeply offended, sorry, offensive, and they did harmful things in society, and Jesus says, I want to go into relationship with them. Why? Because this is a new way of living. Jesus is saying, going to people, if you follow me, 
you need to actually have friends with people whom you normally wouldn't have friends with. That's, that's the simple way of putting this. People who probably would offend you. People who probably will say things that, that you disagree with. People who you wouldn't naturally be with. Now, why? Because that is who I hang out with. That's what Jesus is saying. By the way, he's not saying that you never have hard conversations with these individuals, that you never bring things up, that you never confront. That's actually not what he's saying. But rather, the framework to have those conversations is in the bonds of friendship. We, We say this a lot in Lincoln Square that you have to earn the right to confront people. Right now, people are calling people out left and right, and nobody's listening because there's not the depth of relationship needed to confront somebody whom you disagree with. That they need to be able to know that even in the disagreement, that you might that you actually still love them and are for them. Right? If you don't have that foundation, the relationship is too thin to actually be able to do this. That's what this is actually saying. Right, walking down the street, somebody's not wearing their mask. You say, "Hey, buddy, put your mask on." That probably is not going to go over well. But if you have an, a good relationship with somebody, a friendship, and you say, "Hey, it would mean a lot to me if you wore your mask, you know, properly when, you know, needed," there's a much higher chance that that is going to go better because of the depth of relationship. Jesus is showing us a new way. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, secondly, he must also pave a way for us. Newsflash, the world doesn't actually operate this way. As I already showed you, all our technology, the way we make money, the way we do relationships and friendships, we don't do this. Which is why in verse 11, the Pharisees say, why do you do this? <laughs> and the answer comes in two parts in verses 12 through 15. Jesus gives us uh, two images. First in verse 12, he says, when he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But Jesus, the image Jesus is giving us is that you're not going to get this unless you know that you're unhealthy. Back in the book of Exodus Uh, There's this place where God says to Israel, he says, I am the one that heals you. So if you are sick, you go to the doctor. And what the doctor does is he cuts you up or she cuts you up. And as the blood and guts are running everywhere and it hurts like crazy and things feel like they're getting worse, they're actually getting better. Why? Because it's not me who's cutting you up. It's not just an average person who's cutting you up. It's there is a doctor And Jesus is saying in this text, I'm the great physician. I'm the doctor. I'm here to go in and take the tumor out and stitch you up and to cure you in the process. That is what physicians do. They don't run away from the diseased. They go towards the disease, which, you know, COVID-19 is, is you know, with coronavirus around right now, this is an interesting time to talk about this because we see many people running away. We see many people trying to get away, but 
Jesus is always running towards the hurting. He's always running towards the diseased and the messed up. That's what doctors do. Good doctors aren't harsh about it either. They're gentle because they know that if you're seeing them, that you're not okay. You're not as you should be. And so look look what happens with the doctor. He doesn't stay away. Doctors go in. They don't do it harshly because they want to make you better. That is precisely what he does to Matthew. And look at the contrast with the Pharisees. The Pharisees stay away from the tax collectors. They stay away from the sinners. They don't go in or towards. And this is why our whole society stays away from those who we think might infect us. Ooh, they're going to get us. They're contagious. They might give us something, right, that we think will hurt us, that we think will injure us. But Jesus is like, if you do that, how are you ever going to help them? It'd be like a doctor saying, oh, you're sick? Ew, ew, oh, get away. I don't I can't handle this. You might infect me. Right? That wouldn't be a very good doctor. We're not, we, we might not call sin, sin anymore. Right? We've changed the terminology in our culture. But we all live as if the sin of others is going to infect us. And Jesus didn't live that way. He saw his own love as more contagious than your sin. And so why do we live as if sin out there is going to be more contagious than our love back to them? Jesus paves the way by being the great high physician. But secondly, he's, uh, you know, the other way he paves the way is he's a bridegroom. Again, look at verse 14. Um, These people still don't get it. They're still asking, why do your disciples fast? And Jesus says, the bridegroom is here. That's why. And a lot of folks don't know what he's referring to. Think about bridegrooms, though. Back then, in Jewish weddings, the way it worked was, for the bridegroom, before your wedding, the whole week, your house was open. The wedding was a week-long affair. Everybody was invited. The entire town was. Often, people who normally wouldn't get to celebrate, there's individuals who really might have this much joy and frivolity in their life, the poor, the marginalized, they all got to go. Because it didn't matter. It was all paid for by the bridegroom and their family. That is why the bridegroom matters. It's because they literally were the life of the party. It was a free-for-all. I remember years ago, I was doing a a wedding once, and it was at a wedding venue where there was actually multiple weddings going on. And I got there a little bit early to kind of get the lay of the land. And um, when I was there, I ran into a bridegroom and uh, his groomsmen from a different wedding. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just looking around. I apologize. And, um, you know, I'm with a different group. And And the bridegroom said, no, 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 come on in. He grabbed me. I think he'd been drinking a little bit. And he was like, you're not busting in. You're, you're part of the party. And he brought me in and literally took, took us to the, you know, where they were sitting and hanging out and everybody was celebrating and everybody was enjoying themselves because that is what he was. He was the life of the party. A caring doctor is good. Jesus knows that you need a physician, but he knows that, that physis- being a physician is not enough. You need more. You need a doctor to fix you, but you also need a bridegroom who wants to actually be with you. 
Why? Because the bridegroom always brings joy. The bridegroom always brings the joy. Joy like you aren't used to. Weeks of joy. See, it's one thing to say, I need, I need to get healed. Okay, that's good. But you... Why be healed? Because of the joy that is possible that we have offered to us. Why do we need that? Because, I'll tell you why. Because if you're an unhappy person, even if you're fixed, you don't go out. You don't have the bandwidth for that. You can't even fathom helping or going towards people whom you don't just pull from and get from, right? We, you have to have lots of internal, inner joy to hang out with people who might argue with you, who might tire you, who is not easy to be with. You need enough mirth to shrug off slights. You need enough laughter to allow you to handle the tears that are bound to come. And the bridegroom offers you that. The party, the coming joy, it's essential. So much so that if you don't have this, you are not going to go. And so you, we know the way, right? It's a new way. And Jesus paves the way by being the great high physician coming to heal, but also the bridegroom coming to bring the joy. And so last point, how can Jesus actually show us the way? How can Jesus actually help us have this love and joy? He can, but we have to go deeper into each one of these images. Think about that physician again. There is a danger of being a doctor, is, is there not? Why? Because even if you're careful, even if you do everything right, even if it's not your fault, you keep yourself healthy, you keep yourself from getting sick, when you're around the unhealthy, when you're around the hurting and the diseased, you often get sick too and suffer too. That's why we call... That's why right now we're calling doctors essential workers because they're essential to the, for the care of the sick. But that only comes at the risk of your life. That you might do everything else right. But if you treat them, you are in danger of getting that same disease, of it infecting you. And that is exactly what happens to Jesus on the cross. That on that cross, he comes in such close contact with our diseased selves the things that are killing us, kill him. Right? He comes in close con contact. We are contagious. And he goes to the cross to treat that disease. He gets what we deserve so that we get what he deserves. And because he did that, he cleans us. He saves us. And now he can come into our lives and gives us what we actually need. So go back through all the diseases of your life. Pride, self-centeredness, self-pity, apathy, a judgmental heart towards others, a lack of desire for others, right? This, we all need treatment for that. I remember when I was a pastor in Boston, this is a while ago, I was talking to a woman who had just this, just this bitterness. She was bitter towards another man who was actually a doctor in our community. She was very upset at him. This doctor, this doctor had deeply wronged her. And what she said was, it, it was eating her up. She, she couldn't let it go. She couldn't move forward. It was sleepless nights, tears. She knew she should forgive him. Right? I said, hey, your problem is you haven't forgiven him. And she was like, I know. She knew the answer. Christians are supposed to forgive. That's what, the meaning, that's what does it mean to be a Christian. But 
as Jesus is showing here in this text, just knowing the right practice. These people knew the right practices. It wasn't enough. It still took time. But eventually, over the course of life, she realized the reason that she hurt so much is that she was looking for a deep, even maybe even divine connection between herself and this man. And she blamed all her problems on him. In other words, she became convicted over time, it took time, that the connections with this person mattered more to her than connection to Jesus. She wanted this human doctor more than the great doctor. So she had pushed Jesus out. She, and what mattered more was this personal connection with people. She didn't realize that she had actually made an idol out of the relationships in her heart. I'll never forget it when she said it. She said, yeah, I'm bitter. Yeah, I'm hurt. But I'm, it's actually worse than that. I'm sick. I'm sick because spiritually I don't really want God. I don't want him at the center of my life. If I could just have him, this man, this other fallen individual. And when she started putting it that way, when she realized what she was doing, she actually was starting to, she was actually started able to, she was started to be able to forgive him. Jesus was cutting away at the tumor. Right? It wasn't this man. It was how she was using this man to not need God himself. We have so many ailments. We have so many diseases. And you know what? We also have a million and one excuses for each one of our behaviors. But Jesus is here to cut them away. And the way to get that treatment is to see that this doctor died taking care of us. I generally sleep pretty well at night. I put my head to that pillow and I'm out. But when my mind is running, it's because I'm trying to solve an issue that I can't seem to solve and I worry and I, and I guess I obsess and I'm trying to work through the problem. And usually at some level, it, it's me thinking, I know that I have a, there's a better way to life, that, that there's a better way that how my life should be going than right now. But when I realize that, when you realize that, it's in that moment Jesus is reminding us that only he saves. Nothing else does. He had a lack of fear to come care for us. He was not afraid of being contaminated, willing to be with us. And when we have him at the center of our life, we won't be afraid of any other you know, contamination of the world. So first, you need the great high physician to cure you so you aren't afraid to actually cure others. But lastly, you need the joy of that bridegroom. We started touching on this last week, but here it is again. It's one thing to go to a wedding, but all parties eventually end. Parties never last except one. If you are no longer condemned, if, you know, Romans 8 is true, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus gives you a goodness and a wholeness and a love that completes you, then that joy will never end. That means the party is actually never over. No defeat, no circumstance of your life right now, no ill will, no slight or defeat from others. All that can do is just remind you of the deeper and utter joy that you have in him. Now I'm not worried about catching anything from anyone else. I've got something that actually I want them to catch. Your love can be an infectious tool in their lives because it is infused with the joy of the bridegroom. Right? Do you see how if you had his love ever present in you, 
What doubts, what cares, what drops, what concerns, what setbacks can really ultimately keep you down? Right? What, I think that's what, peop, what people need is the knowledge that people can't actually defile you. Think about it. If they're proud, if other people are proud, you don't need to worry about becoming proud yourself. How can you? If you know that you are saved by utter grace, he didn't have to at all, but he wanted to. That humbles you. That, and maybe that humble joy, maybe that meekness, maybe that difference will, in a, pro, a prideful person that you're hanging out with, maybe it'll, it'll start affecting them, infecting them. Or bitterness. There are a lot of bitter people out there. You say, well, I don't, you know, I don't want the, to get around those individuals because then they might make me bitter. How? If somebody's bitter and they come into your life, you don't have to worry about you becoming bitter because how can you be bitter when nothing else compares to the grace-filled, joy-filled love that you now have in your life? As that, emulates, as, that, as that emanates out of you, it might actually work against the bitterness of the world and the people that you're around. So here's how I want to end. Before I end, let me try to apply this real quickly to you. In New York City, right now, Go back to verse 13 in our text. And Jesus actually quotes Hosea 6, 6, where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Our tendency is to walk out of here right now or turn off the screen eventually and say, you know what? I got to sacrifice. I got I to gotta go and do some stuff. But look, that doesn't work. That's still saying, look what I did. Look what I'm doing. If you do that, it's going to mess you up. If you focus on your actions and your works and what you're up to, I've lived a good life, I'm a good person, look what I've done, it's not going to work. No. Instead, it says, don't do that. Look at mercy. I desire mercy. What does that mean? I think three quick applications. One, it means don't come to this city as a consumer. So many people are, are so sad the city is not what they thought it was or not, not what it once was anymore. And you're right, it's not. But we have to be careful not to just miss our experience of the city versus the city itself. The great doctor went into our disease. Let us do the same thing into our city. Christians should flock in, not flock out. We've been saying that for a while. So we need to be on the lookout for Matthews that are around us. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be the person you least expect because you have the great doctor and the bridegroom of the party. You have the healing and the joy. And so you can find the Matthews of the city and be excited to be with them. That's one. Two, when you find those Matthews, listen to them. They might be suffering. They might be from a different social class or race or background. What If we at Redeemer Lincoln Square, if we just sat and befriended Matthews, if that was our one and only job in our life, you don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to know all the right statements. But it, just our presence, it would change the city. And then lastly, thirdly, some of those Matthews might actually be difficult people. Maybe even Christians in your life. People you don't relate to. People that the world is trying to silo us into different spaces. But let's, like good doctors, go into places of need and not to pull away. Even in our own family, even our own community. Let's pray all these things. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, we pray all these things. Um, 
Father, you are the great high physician. You are the bridegroom who brings joy. And I pray that we sit. And when things are hard, we, we, I pray we will ask, what surgery might you be performing right now? What are you, might you be cutting away? Sometimes when I never know, sometimes the pain's too hard and we can't see it. But sometimes we'll be able to trace the rainbow through the rain. Sometimes we'll be able to, to, to see the grace that you've been given us. And I pray that makes us worship you, to trust you more, to go down deeper. Father, we need joy. We, if we're spent, if we're tired, we're, we're just not going to, to move out. We need a deep well filled with joy. And we, if we knew the party that you've started, if we knew what you're doing, it would change us. It would give us that joy. It would give us an energy that we, it would even surprise us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.